Welcome in to the BetUS College Football Show, and it is championship week. That's right, we made it to the conference championships. It has been 14 long weeks. It's a grind. It's a process, but that's okay. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. Uh, let me go ahead and introduce our experts here. On the left side of the screen is our uh, analyst, our numbers guy. I call him the numerical guru, Parker Fleming. He is at Stats of War on Twitter. Parker, uh, rough week last week, but hey, we, we made it to the end. We are still in the positive as far as the show goes. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, Gary. I, I honestly, you, you guys and uh, and I were were talking this weekend just about like, hey, there is a lot more value early in the season. I think one problem that I'm really interested to go back and look at this off season is like my lines are very close to the spread. Um, and so, do I need to incorporate new information? Do I need to think about how I'm thinking? Obviously, not going to switch that up right now, but still following the process. Well, you know, some bounces go your way, some some don't. But with these conference championship games, we've got some really interesting matchups against teams that have you know some really good kind of common overlaps in data. I'm interested to see how my numbers do uh, given the given the late season performance here. Most certainly, that's these these spreads this weekend are incredibly tight and they have already moved quite a bit obviously opened up on sunday afternoon as they do each week uh, some of them had opened up last week once they had the matchup already set but there are things to take into consideration here with injuries with motivation with uh, playoff implications etc so different things that you have to pay attention to as you get later on in the season uh, we'll go ahead and bring in on the right side of your screen kyle hunter he is at kyle hunter picks he is our award-winning professional handicapper. Uh, Kyle, yeah, it, it, handicapping gets a little bit different as you move through the season, and especially once you get into championship week, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had a good season overall in betting. Uh, the last weekend was my worst weekend I've had by a mile. Uh, you know, it just, uh, just wasn't my weekend. And in general, here for the show, we certainly had a bad week. But uh, you just move on to the next one. Um, there's there's a lot of weeks in the season. we got a lot of games left this year. A lot of bowl games to come. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there were some bad beats or some bad plays, but. Uh, let me, hey, let me interrupt you. Let me go ahead and tee you up on this. Oh, yeah. uh, Boise State. I mean, you you kind of had a feeling the way that the weekend was going to go when that early Friday game with Utah State and Boise State uh, went the way it did, right? How did you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say that the. If anybody has any beef about the Utah State pick, that one, I mean, I don't know what I can do about that one. That one was a brutal one. I, I actually turned the game off when they were down five, assuming I had won. And then I see people tweeting on Twitter about this is the worst beat ever. I'm like, how did this happen? So I have to go back and watch the end of the game. I, I really wish I hadn't watched the end of it. But um, brutal loss. Uh, I think that has to be the bad beat of the year so far. I know on, on bad beats, they were talking about it that way last night. Um, you know, anything could have happened where Boise could have gone down on the interception return. Uh, Taylor Green busts, what was it, a 90-yard touchdown, something like that. But, hey, you know, um, I agree with Parker, too, that my, my numbers are a lot closer to the totals and the spreads now. And, and like Mark said in the chat, in general, that's a good thing. You don't really want to be far apart. I hear some people say, hey, I've got 10 points of value on like every game this week. And that's usually just a sign you're doing it wrong. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll be careful here this week, but I, I'm expecting a bounce back coming soon. Oh, most certainly. Uh, MT6 jumped in and asked already in the chat, are all the championship games going to be broken down today because I see two different shows listed? Well, here's the deal. We're going to break down the first five championship games today. And 
we're going to break down Akron and Buffalo, which is a uh, makeup game from one that was postponed for snow just a couple of weeks ago. This one, Buffalo has to win to be able to get into a bowl game. So we are going to break that one down as well. Only 11 games this week. Going to break down six of them today and five of them tomorrow. Keeping the same schedule as usual, Sands, of course, at last week when uh, we only did one show for Thanksgiving week, of course. But, uh, but yes, every Tuesday and Wednesday we will be right here. Let me go on and tell everybody. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. That allows you to get into the chat here, which we've already got Slow Jams, we got Heath, we got Julius, we got Wavy, uh, all kinds of guys in there. Raf is already in there as well. So, yes, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel so that you can be a part of the chat. That is honestly my favorite part of the show because you guys have incredible discussions outside of what we're talking about anyway. So go ahead and make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Hit the notification bell. That'll let you know when we go live, and that's every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is the easiest thing you could possibly do for us. Make sure that you like the video. That helps us out an absolute ton. We try and get to at least 100 uh, early, and then we set our goals as we go through. So go ahead and boost those numbers. I see uh, I see a few people already clicking the thumbs up button, but go ahead and hit that for us. That certainly helps. You can also get the podcast. If you missed the show live, we understand. We would prefer that you be here with us, but go ahead and download the podcast as well. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, whatever. It is the BetUS football show, and that is both the college football feed and the NFL feed all together right there in one podcast feed. We make it easy for you so that you can get all of your football fix uh, right here in the NFL bunch last week. Uh, I mean, Scott and Chris did a magnificent job, uh, believe went undefeated on their picks. So while we are not doing so hot, they are certainly picking up the slack. So let's uh, speaking of those picks, let's go ahead and and discuss that. Let's go ahead and talk about our recap thus far on the season. Here's what we did last week. We don't hide from this. We are transparent. We try and tell you exactly what we're going through. I went two and three on my picks. Parker, one and five. Kyle, one and three. It was not a great rivalry week for us. Overall on the season, I am sitting at 44, 35, and three. Parker is 36, 42, and one. And Kyle is 28 and 26. So that's an overall record of 108, 103, and four. We are 51.18% against the number. We need a bounce back week. I feel like it's going to come through this week. This seems like a good week to get it done. Why not go ahead and get that record boosted up a little bit before bowl season? Uh, Before we get started with the games, we have a promo. Down in the description, it says Happy Hour. It is the Happy Hour Reduced Rollover. So the promo is valid for Sunday, December 4th. You can call or chat with BetUS and get paid. You use the promo code Happy Hour Promo after you deposit a minimum of $100 and you get a 50% sports book deposit bonus up to 1000 bucks. So go ahead and take advantage of that over at betus.com. Uh, check the whole thing out. It is magnificent. Click that link to make sure that you take advantage of that. Now, let's dive into the games. Let's start off with the first one that is not a conference championship game, but it might as well be for Buffalo who is trying to get to a bowl game. For the fourth consecutive game now, uh, they are sitting at five and six, and eh, things are things are not great. I will say that um, they have lost three consecutive games with a chance to go ahead and get that sixth win. Buffalo is currently an eleven and a half point favorite at home against Akron, and the total sits at fifty-five and a half. Now, this is a makeup game from two weeks ago, which I just brought up. Um, Akron, the last five weeks, has been absolutely awesome. On defense, they blasted Northern Illinois last week. Uh, Moorhead's team, and you look at the numbers, number 10 
in PPA margin over the last five weeks, which is insane when you think about it. But you go through and look at the numbers. Four of their last five losses have been by one score. They are right there on the edge, and they've done a pretty good job not only on defense, but the offense is clicking even with the new quarterback uh, under Cuffler. Like he, this is this is a not terrible football team like we are accustomed to seeing with Akron here. Let me start off with Parker on this one. Um, this this bunch, you know, under Cuffler, 312 yards, three touchdowns, one pick against Northern Illinois. Uh, the Buffalo defense has just fallen off the past five weeks, Parker. They're number 93 in PPA per drive. Where I could see this game maybe turning is Buffalo is number five in takeaways per game. Akron is number 126 in giveaways per game. Uh, but I think that this Akron offense is actually more efficient with the new quarterback as opposed to what they were with DJ Irons. It seems like they have kind of cleaned some things up. And, and it's weird to say that, you know, obviously any fan of the team is always going to say, ah, the, the backup's always better, right? But in this situation, it kind of looks like they might be. I'm curious what your numbers might say about this game. Yeah, Buffalo's kind of in a nosedive after that Toledo win and have just been trending in the wrong direction. And Akron is definitely doing what you want to see out of a team like Akron with with Joe Moorhead is saying, hey, we're figuring ourselves out. We're getting a little better as the season goes along, you know, depending on what better is. One one stat that I have that I really like in favor of Akron here is all season, looking at their whole season average, they're 100th in early downs EPA. So they are just negative 0.07. That means they're adding negative value every time they snap the ball on, on first and second down. That's not great. Um, if you filter that just the last five weeks, Gary, I know that you love that five-week window. So I was, I was taking one out of your book there. And they're actually like 63rd in the last five weeks, which re- represents a s- substantial jump from where they were at the beginning of the season. So getting a little better on early downs, um, again, trending in the right direction. Obviously, you've got some motivation differential that I think you have to take into account here. But on the merits, um, well, one thing I really like is an Akron you know, if you look at their metrics, 123rd in EPA per rush, not very good at rushing, but they are throwing the third most out of any team in the FBS. They are absolutely letting it sling. Negative 13.7 rush rate over expected. They're absolutely passing the ball around and they're 69th in raw EPA per pass, positive 0.06 EPA per drop back there. So that's only getting better with the recent metrics as well. Um, I, 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 again, I don't want to overstate and say, hey, Akron's some kind of world beater here at the season, but I had this closer to nine and a half, 10 points as opposed to, I think it opened somewhere like 13, 14. And so it's moved in Akron's favor, I think rightly, rightly so, uh, should be a little bit closer. One thing to look at on the other side of the ball, going back to those third downs, Buffalo 31st and third and fourth down success, 113th on early downs EPA. So where both teams have been very bad on early downs, Buffalo has kind of made hay in those third down successes. Akron's defense is actually much better on third downs than they are on early downs. They're at 96th on first and second downs EPA, but they're 75th and third and fourth down success. So maybe some resilience there. Akron kind of in terms of this puzzle piece matchup actually fits pretty nicely uh, against what Buffalo is trying to do. And so absent of the motivation concerns of um, getting to a bowl, what's happening in the end of the season, the way these two teams are trending, uh, I would lean towards Akron here. I, I tend to be the exact same. Uh, even with the line movement, yes, you are correct. It opened at 14 and a half. Uh, it was at 14 for just a little bit on Sunday, quickly went to 13 and a half, stayed there for a little bit, and now it has moved two points in in the last day. Kyle, I want to bring you in here. Uh, Buffalo did win this game last year, 45 to 10, 
Buffalo is 4-0 and against the spread and straight up in their last four against Akron. Uh, but when you look at the most recent stuff, Akron 3-1-1 against the spread in their last five, Buffalo at home, uh, not a ton of home field advantage. They are 2-5-1 against the spread in their last eight at home. And this is an interesting, interesting spot uh, to me as far as uh, Buffalo's had opportunities to get to that sixth win. And the reason why they made up this game is for them to try and get to the sixth win. Uh, but they have not been able to bust through. And with Akron playing as well as they have, uh, you would almost have to lean to the Zips, correct? Yeah, I mean, you have to. I don't know how you could lay this many points with Buffalo. Um, if you just take out the fact that we know Akron isn't a good team. It's not we're trying to sit here and say Akron's a really good team. But should Buffalo be laying this kind of number? I mean, because Buffalo is not a good team either. Uh, I think this is probably a good fate of Buffalo, if nothing else. Buffalo has had many chances, like you said. They couldn't take advantage here. They scheduled this game. They say we got to get bowl eligible. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that kind of spot anyway. So, you know, we haven't been playing well, so we're going to put this bad team back on the schedule to try to get bowl eligible. Uh, we managed to get one more sicko special in here, and I do appreciate that for sure. Um, Jeff Undercuffler, what a great name, first of all. Uh, comes in and throws for over 300 yards uh, in the blowout win over NIU. I know NIU's defense is bad at this point, but uh, still that margin of victory, pretty impressive. And actually, actually Akron had outgained uh, Eastern Michigan the previous week as well. So they've been playing better. Certainly, like you said, the Zips are fighting hard to the finish for Moorhead. Uh, Buffalo's offense, instead of looking back through the recency when it comes to Buffalo's offense, they've really been really bad. 3.4 yards per play against Ohio, not exactly a good defense. 4.8 yards per play against Central Michigan. And 4.2 yards per play against Kent State defense, it's clearly bad. Uh, Buffalo had a chance to become bowl eligible in all those games, not really playing great teams. They came up short three times. Buffalo probably wins this game, but I, you know, I wouldn't want to bet a lot on them even winning this game. To be honest, there's no way I'd lay a big number. Uh, Buffalo, remember, did lose to Holy Cross, and then they lost last week to Kent State without Schlee for almost the whole game. Uh, I think Akron's probably a good look here in this one, and I wish I had fired on the Zips earlier, certainly. That's why I did fire on the zips at 14, but I still like it at 11 and a half. I'll give it out on here as my official play at 11 and a half, because I, I do think that there is something to be said about developing with a new coach throughout the season. You can tell that there is still energy. There's still motivation. Uh, to be fair, I don't think that Akron had to play this game. I think they wanted to play it because they want to go out and continue on a, a good trajectory, uh, get some more practices in, et cetera. They're not going to a bowl game, so this is a good spot for them to be able to get some more practice as they head into the offseason. Uh, I like what Moorhead's doing here. 11 and a half, it's, it's not sitting on a key number or anything like that. Um, I do like Akron here to cover 11 and a half. I like it more at 14, to be honest, uh, but that number is long gone. So official play here from me, give me the zips plus 11 and a half on this one. All right. Let's move along. We are now headed into the championship games, and I am excited. Goodness gracious. UTSA is hosting North Texas in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. This one's on Friday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. And the Roadrunners are an eight-and-a-half-point home favorite. Total sits at 68 in this one. Uh, that is up from 66-and-a-half. UTSA won the earlier matchup. This is a rematch. Right, this is uh, their second meeting of the season. UTSA won that one, thirty-one to twenty-seven. Kyle, we're going to start with you here. UTSA running back Brady is out, uh, but 
honestly, I don't know how much that really affects things because the freshman Barnes is averaging 6.3 yards per rush, and he has gotten plenty of play this year. Frank Harris did leave the last game for just a little bit. Looked like maybe uh, tweaked an ankle, something along those lines. Uh, but he came back in. He played well. UTSA is number one in PPA per pass over the last five weeks on offense. North Texas's defense is number 97. This is a spot where I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot of stops on either side here. You look at what these two did in that first meeting, only nine points in the first half and 49 points in the second half. They were not getting stops, either one of them, and just a heartbreaking, crushing loss for North Texas in that game. There's something to be said, maybe, that North Texas is fighting for Seth Luttrell's job. Uh, We'll see. I mean, there's been a lot of rumors around that program. Uh, but Kyle, I'm, I'm curious how you see this one uh, with North Texas being 11 and two against the spread in their last 13 against Conference USA competition. I, I think this is a pretty fascinating game as a handicapper. Um, you look at what North Texas does on offense versus the UTSA defense. That's the most interesting side to me because UTSA 15th and success rate allowed on defense, but 128th in explosiveness allowed. North Texas is second in offensive explosiveness. UTSA has allowed 37 plays of 30 yards or more so far this year. So they're usually stuffing uh, opponents, but then they give up the big play. This kind of reminds me of a game, maybe Michigan and Ohio State from this past weekend. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about that a little bit, even as a Buckeyes fan. You think about the Michigan success rate at the end of that game was pretty low. It was not very good. But if you just look at success rate, you would have thought Ohio State won the game. But Michigan has all those explosive plays. Um, nine plays in that game accounted for 428 of their 530 yards, which is just insane. Um, I, I wonder if North North Texas can do a little bit of that here too, break some big plays against UTSA. They'll need to be good on offense because they're going to give up a lot of points on defense. That's for sure. Um, North Texas defensive line ranks dead last in the country in defensive line yards allowed. They create next to no havoc in the, in the backfield. UTSA has a great home field advantage for sure. Uh, Nobody's going to doubt that. These two teams played virtually the same schedule um, as far as strength of schedule. North Texas a little bit better from a net yards per play margin. So I'm going to lean North Texas here in this one personally. I also kind of lean to the over thinking this could turn into a shootout. Most certainly on that one. And by the way, I want to get the chat involved in this. Uh, if you guys had to, and I see several people have already put theirs in, but tell us in the chat who you would take in this ball game with the line currently sitting at eight and a half, uh, because I want to know, is it UTSA or is it North Texas? Wh- which way would you lean on this one? Uh, Parker, I want to bring you in here. UTSA is two and one straight up, but one and two against the spread. Their last three against North Texas. I did see somebody in the chat mention that North Texas uh, tends to play UTSA pretty well. And, yeah, if you watched the game earlier this year where UTSA had to come down and score at the end of the game in order to win, uh, along with last season where they just got absolutely housed, albeit when they were sitting guys before the conference championship, uh, yeah, it would certainly look like North Texas uh, maybe has a little bit of an edge on the Roadrunners here. Uh, But you look at North Texas last week, and it kind of gave me a little bit of pause there because they beat Rice 21-17, to even though they were plus two in turnover margin, that's a that's a bad Rice team right now. Uh, they playing a backup quarterback. Uh, the offense not exactly moving the ball a lot. I know that the quarterback Austin Onia has improved throughout the season. Um, which, by the way, you know it, North Texas number twenty seven PPA per pass over the last five weeks. UTSA's defense number ninety or excuse me number sixty five. Um, but there's there's spots here that I really like for UTSA. I'm curious what your numbers would say on this. 
Well, the the facet of the game that I'm most specifically looking at is uh, UNT's offense versus UTSA's defense, because I think that that's really going to determine kind of the ceiling of this matchup overall. And there's a couple splits that I think actually really work in UTSA's flavor, uh, excuse me, favor. Um, and uh, UNT almost feels a little bit like uh, a light version of what UTEP last year was with Gavis, Gavin Hardison, where it's like, hey, we're going to run it three times and then throw it 70 yards down the field. They're 83rd in rush rate over expected, 60th in EPA per rush, um, and they're uh, 114th in rushing success rate on offense. But then they are 19th in EPA per pass, 29th in passing success rate. So it's like they're very selective when they pass. And they're able to, to you know, exploit that, get a big play, get some efficiency to the passing game there. UTSA's defense is 93rd in EPA per pass, but they're 47th in EPA per rush. So that's going to be a nice matchup for UTSA there. If they can defend the rush enough that UNT doesn't get to get that second and one where they can take that big shot play, I think they could really disrupt this UNT offense. They could put a lot of pressure uh, on Ani and... Um, and really try to force him into mistakes. Uh, another aspect of this game that I think is really important is that uh, UNT does not create quality possessions very well. They're 57th in quality possession rate. They are um, 29th in points per quality possession. That tells me that most of their touchdowns are big plays, right? Uh, and UTSA actually has the opposite problem. They are allowing 58.4% quality possession rate. Uh, but they're 26th in points per echo allowed. So they're really kind of playing that bend, don't break. North Texas is playing like a break, don't bend uh, offense where they just want to get the big play. UTSA is doing the exact opposite on defense. I know there's some injuries here, but I think that more or less they kind of cancel each other out. On the other side of the ball, UTSA is much more balanced. I think their rushing attack, especially if Harris is 100%, uh, is really going to exploit this UNT defense. 97th overall in EPA per play for UNT's defense, 112th in success rate. They're 118th in EPA per rush compared to UTSA's 21st EPA per rush. So I think UTSA should be able to run the ball and deny the run, which is going to be really important for kind of setting up those counter punches when those quarterbacks are going for those big swings. So uh, I like UTSA at home. The dome is loud. Um, and there's a lot of pride in that program. I'm, I'm going to take I'm going to take the birds at home to uh, cover. I guess UTSA. Both of these mascots are birds. I'm going to take UTSA, <laughs> the Roadrunners. <laughs> I like it. Meet me for me as well. I will take UTSA minus the eight and a half here. Uh, North Texas number 81 in giveaways per game. Uh, UTSA is number 25 in that metric. Uh, I, I look over the last five weeks. UTSA is number 12 in offensive PPA per drive. North Texas is defense number 106. North Texas number 29. In offensive PPA per drive, UTSD's defense over the last five weeks, number 52. Uh, the biggest thing for me, havoc rate allowed by North Texas over the last five weeks is number 76. Uh, UTSA's defense is number 13 in creating havoc uh, over just recently, of course. I think they're going to be able to get after the quarterback. I think they're going to be able to cause some mistakes. I think UTSA wins this one, and and I did bet against UTSA last year when I thought that the uh, the trendier team was going to be able to pull off the upset with Western Kentucky, and UTSA's offense just ran wild on them last year. Uh, so I do like UTSA to cover eight and a half here, along with Parker. That is two official plays on that. That is two straight games with plays. Let's move along. Let's move to one more. We've got another Friday night championship game. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox, the Pac-12 title game, USC and Utah. This one, of course, at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. USC is a three-point favorite. The total sits at 67, of course, latest numbers at BetUS. 
Utah won the earlier matchup this season, 43-42, to last-minute two-point conversion that allowed Utah to get the W, and it is USC's only loss on the season. This Utah defense has not been as good as you would normally think, right? Kyle Whittingham defense, you know them to be uh, bully ball. They are very, very uh, disciplined, etc. That's not really this team thus far. Uh, Parker, we're going to start with you. Caleb Williams is absolutely ridiculous. He's minus 3,000 to win the Heisman at this point. Uh, but USC's defense, number 121 PPA per drive over the last five weeks. At some point, I feel like the turnovers have to bounce the other way uh, because, again, the football is oblong and it bounces funny. It can't just bounce to the same team over and over and over again, right? I, wait, we've seen this for 12 games now. Is this the one where maybe it bounces the other way? Like, Tell me, tell me what your numbers say about this one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to like, at what point do you say, okay, actually they're just good at turnovers and it's going to go their way, right? Like that's an open question and we don't necessarily know. Um, I think this defense is not, um, uh, not, 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 not very good. And we know that they're, they're 125th <laughs> in EPA per rush, 82nd EPA per pass. What I like about Utah in this situation is that, um, they've really figured out kind of how to gel their tight ends. I think they had some, you know, some injuries, they had some guys out and there was a little bit of a, a concern like, Hey, we can't run our 13 personnel packages. How are we going to move the ball consistently? What's our identity going to be? And with, with, um, you know, f- finding multiple options at tight end, I think that's been really nice for them to kind of gel down the stretch. They're 14th in EPA per rest, 38th in EPA per pass. Um, I, I have Utah covering on the numbers um, because I think their defense is well suited to match up against USC's uh, passing game. As we've seen, they're 22nd in EPA per pass compared to USC's fourth. And their offense is, is that, you know, Utah's much more balanced. Their defense was objectively bad uh, at the beginning of the season, and they've really come on strong this season overall. Um, one thing that I think is especially important is that USC has been um, – Surprisingly bad at allowing finishing drives, uh, 4.29 points per quality possession, whereas Utah's offense is 11th at 4.84 points per quality possession. I think if Utah can score touchdowns, not kick field goals, which they should be able to do against this defense, um, a lot will go in their favor. The reason I don't have an official play on Utah here is um, it's just really hard to beat a team twice. And and I, I, I know that they're on the numbers going to keep it close, but I think in terms of um, trending and motivation. Both both teams have a lot to play for. UCLA, USC has a little bit more to play for. So I would lean at their offensive ceiling being a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit outpacing this Utah team who's been balanced, but is also, you know, maybe not as played as, as, st- as stiff competition down the stretch. And I, I totally feel where you're going there. I uh, it, it is tough to beat a team two times in the same season, but uh, it does give Utah a little bit of motivation uh, with the fact that they have already beaten this team, and now they are, of course, the underdog here. Uh, I want to move over to Parker. Utah is 0-4 against the spread against winning teams thus far this year. USC is 4-0 and against the spread against winning teams thus far. Um, but, man, I look at this. Utah number 34 PPA per rush on defense. Can can they slow down Austin Jones? Because I think that that's what really gets this USC offense rolling. Uh, the thing that I like most in this matchup is the fact that the Utah corners, I believe, match up pretty well with these USC wide receivers. Uh, the defense for Utah over the past five weeks, number eight in passing success rate allowed. USC's offense is number 13 in that metric. So it's kind of strength on strength here. Kyle, uh, the first matchup was just a brilliant display between Rising and Williams. I'm curious at your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I want to start with um, Kyle Whittingham, ATS, as an underdog, 33 and 23 
as a dog of three points or bigger, 30 and 18 against the spread. So he has done well in this role, certainly. Um, this is a Utah team that I'd rather bet on than bet against in general. Um, as I was kind of looking at this game, uh, I wanted to look at uh, to isolate the team total here. Because if you look at the first game, USC puts up 42 points. Um, they were 8.1 yards per play in that game. They actually were 0 for 2 on fourth down, or they probably would have scored more points. Uh, that was at Salt Lake City. Now you play at Allegiant on the fast track. Uh, I don't I don't think Utah can stop USC from scoring in this game. Now, do I really think USC can stop Utah from scoring? Probably not. The thing that had me uh, shying away from taking either a game over or taking Utah in this game is Cam Rising. Um, he's a pretty good quarterback on the whole, but he is wildly inconsistent. He's had some really bad games that have cost his team um, two games, the Florida game and the Oregon game, especially with turnovers. He has a 74.8 PFF grade on the season, but four games with a 55 or lower PFF passing grade, which is pretty bad. So uh, USC defense is weak. I, I would think Utah could score a decent amount of points and rising will play pretty well here, but I'm far more confident that Caleb Williams and USC's offense will score points. You know, whether that will lead to a win or not, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you know, in, in this one, USC needs a win to get to the playoffs, certainly. Uh, they're plus 22 in turnover margin. I think I'm done trying to figure out when their <laughs> turnover margin stuff's going to stop. I mean, we know that at some point it will, and it'll probably be in, like, the biggest game that hurts them the most. Will that be here? Will that be in the playoff? I don't know. They're liable to be, you know, minus five in turnovers at some point. I saw somebody in the chat saying, uh, you know, you got to start trusting Caleb Williams. He'll prove you wrong. I think all of us think Caleb Williams is tremendous. So uh, and nobody's doubting Caleb Williams at all here. Uh, and I think USC is going to have a lot of success. Uh, 42 points in the first game, like I said, 8.1 yards per play. I think both teams score quite a few in this one, but USC team total over 34.5 is my official play here. Um, I like uh, isolating that out, thinking that Caleb Williams and this USC offense will score points here on the fast track. I, I could certainly agree with that. I do expect there to be a lot of points. I would lean to just the overall over, because I think Utah is going to put up quite a few points as well. I I, it all comes down to this for me. Who do you trust more in Las Vegas? Is it a bunch of guys from Utah or is it a bunch of guys from Los Angeles? I mean, I'm going to ride with Utah plus the three here. Uh, we did have, I believe Mark jumped in and said, uh, let's see, I think public drove the lineup early. Utah plus three will get smashed. The line will close at minus one and a half for Utah. Uh, hey, maybe USC opened as a one point favorite. They are now up to plus three, or excuse me, minus three. I'm going to take Utah. Plus the three. I think that is too much overreaction to what we saw from Caleb Williams and Notre Dame, et cetera, last week. Uh, that that game was weird. You you saw Notre Dame was able to move the football pretty effectively, and of course they still got turnovers from the Irish last week that led two points for them. I don't think it plays forever. I'm going to take the Utes here. I really like what they are doing on offense. I think this is the perfect spot for Kyle Whittingham uh, to get a a good statement win that they've been looking for this season. Uh, they've already beat them once. I think they can probably do it again. Give me the Utes plus three, and Kyle is going to take the USC team total over 34 and a half. So two official plays on that one. That is three straight games with plays. So let me go ahead and remind everybody first about the podcast. If you're not here live, that's okay. We understand. We would prefer that you're joining in with us live, of course. But uh, if not, you can get the BetUS Football Show on Apple, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. Make sure you subscribe and leave a nice five-star review there. 
Also, if you've not already, jump into the chat with your questions for Q&A. I had somebody come in and uh, say this isn't a question. This is a plea to please tell me that Texas A&M is going to be good next year. I can't guarantee anything until I see who they hired OC. I'll just go on and answer that one right off the bat. Uh, like the video for us. If you've not already done so, we are nearly to our first goal there. So go ahead and hit that thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell, etc. And don't forget about tomorrow's show, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. We will be right back here discussing the afternoon slate of the conference championship week. Now, we've got three more games to discuss. Let's go ahead and dive into it. We move to the MAC. That's right. The MAC is back. Toledo, a one and a half point favorite over Ohio. The total sits at 55, latest numbers at BetUS. This one's 12 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN on Saturday. Uh, early game, of course, Ford Field in Detroit, Michigan. Toledo won the matchup last year 35 to 23. That was a bad Ohio team last year. This Ohio team has been really, really good. However, the quarterback, Rourke, is out for the year now. At least uh, the reports are saying that. Uh, but this offense rolled with C.J. Harris last week in a 38-14 win over Bowling Green that got them to the MAC championship game. Uh, Kyle, I want to start with you here. They they only put up 384 yards of total offense. 5.12 yards per play was their lowest since they played Iowa State back in September. But it was plenty because they scored four touchdowns in the second quarter, and then they didn't have to worry about it after that because Bowling Green was not going to come back in that ball game. I, we got to figure out, I guess, is Daquan Finn going to play for Toledo? Uh, he was on the sideline in a walking boot at the end of the Western Michigan game. Uh, but even when he was in earlier in that game, he didn't look great. Uh, this Toledo team has not been good. And the quarterback, Leeson, I mean, he's got three interceptions in the last two games, which are both losses. Like, if Toledo appears to be limping into this. Ohio, even without their star quarterback, is still rolling. How do you see this one breaking out? Yeah, I mean, Toledo is the better team. They should win the game, but whether they will win the game is kind of a question. You know, um, it's hard to trust this team. My win totals did really well this year, and I, I know uh, the charity project I did at the beginning of the season, some of the people tuning in uh, joined that. I think they finished about 13-3 and three on the win totals, so um, I'm going to follow up on exactly what that was, but it was a good year, I'll say that. The team that really burnt me, Toledo, um, they were my biggest season win total bet over 7.5, and they couldn't win one more game, so they get to seven wins, um, stay at that point. Certainly an aggravating one there. They choked away three games and finished with seven wins. Guys, uh, why would we want to trust Toledo putting a lot of money on them with Jason Candle? I mean, uh, you know, the history with him is not something I want to uh, put a lot of hard-earned money on. If you just look at the stats and look at team talent here, Toledo should win the game. Uh, you know, whether that will mean that they actually win the game or not, uh, I think that's a dangerous one. I, I saw a, uh, I saw someone who posted saying that Jason Candle was a great candidate for the uh, Cincinnati job, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they couldn't <laughs> seriously do that. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, I, I think I'll just leave it at that. You know, I mean, they they have so many more options than than that. Um, Toledo was a much better team a few years ago uh, before Jason Candle got there, so it's not like he's helped. Uh, this program at this point. Um, I know Ohio won big over BG. Uh, their offense looked pretty good, but a closer look at the stats, they didn't exactly light up Bowling Green as much as Bowling Green kind of just uh, beat themselves in that game. Uh, Harris was pretty good, but you know, 10 for 21 passing, nothing special there. Uh, they, they did well uh, running the football. The massive move toward the under was a sharp move. I probably said about the under earlier. This one was 61 and a half and it's come down to 55. So a big move on the under. 
I think that that was a good bet at 55. It's kind of hard to take it. Um, I will tell you, I have Toledo to win the MAC, and I'm probably going to hedge out of this one at least partially because I don't trust Toledo enough, and I can hedge out and still make a decent profit. So I'm going to lean Toledo, but I'm tired of trusting Jason Jason Candle. I could certainly, certainly understand that. Uh, I'm seeing that my camera's a little jacked up. I'm going to try and fix that here in just a minute. Uh, so, Parker, I want to get you in on this. I don't know how you possibly cap a game where you don't know about the two quarterbacks, right? Um, Toledo's defense has been number eight in PPA per drive over the last five weeks. Um, but Ohio's offense, number 10, even with two games without Curtis Rourke. Like, I... I don't know really how you look at this other than maybe you look at some trends. Ohio is 8-0 against the spread in their last eight games. Uh, Toledo is 0-5 against the spread against their last five MAC teams that they played. Uh, and they're 0-5 against the spread in their last five against winning teams. So that is certainly something to pay attention to with this. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on this one. Uh, what, what do the numbers tell you, Parker? Well, yeah, so Kyle, I mean, Kyle said it perfectly there of like, hey, the numbers say Toledo, but I don't trust Jason Candle, and you add in the quarterback uncertainty. I don't know that there's a smart play on this game, um, but it's the Mac. Like what I've said about the Mac all season is bet the underdog and open a beer and enjoy yourself. And and I could certainly see an argument for that. A couple stats, you know, again, holding out the injuries, just looking at the aggregate team stats, uh, a couple things that I think are interesting. Ohio has a huge, absolutely huge field position differential um they're they're seventh in net field position on the season toledo is 113th remember last year toledo was like actually very efficient on a down-to-down basis but they just had awful special teams and and they're they're not uh, as bad on special teams this year as they were last year but certainly um something to factor in just having a really bad net starting field position as well um one reason that you might be optimistic about toledo uh, aside from the special teams uh, being a negative is that they're 20th in EPA per pass defense, and Ohio is 11th in EPA per pass offense. So when Ohio's been able to move the ball, they're very balanced, 57th in rush rate over expected, just negative one percentage point more than average uh, passing there. But they're 94th in EPA per rush, so very imbalanced in their rushing and passing efficiency. If Toledo's strength can kind of flatten that uh, curve or that ceiling on the Ohio passing game and make Ohio run to beat them, um, I, I certainly think they could keep Ohio behind the chains and and do well there. Um, again, I have this very close. Have it Toledo on the numbers, but the special teams volatility and the lack of a quarterback certainty uh, on top of this being a mat game, which is just weird to handicap altogether. Um, I don't even have a lean here. That's it. I'll tell you my only lean on this would be the under 55, but even that one, you know, it's on a key number. It's just sitting right there. It, it, this opened at 61 and a half, and it was immediately hit. So... I, I might would still lean under the 55 here because I don't know that either offense is going to have a ton of success uh, without their two main quarterbacks. But uh, we'll see. Like if if something happens with Finn and he ends up coming back out for Toledo, maybe this number moves. Uh, but even then, I still might like the under. So I'm at no official play from us on this one. But you know, this thing opened Toledo minus four and a half. It's down to Toledo minus one and a half. It opened a total of 61 and a half. It's down to 55. Uh, it's tough to handicap a game where there are so many question marks for sure. Uh, so we are going to stay off of this one as far as official plays are concerned. Moving along, we move to another 12 p.m. Eastern time kick, this one on ABC, and that would be, that's right, we got Parker here for this one, TCU and Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. Now, Parker does have a future that he put out back in August on the show 
where he had Kansas State to win the Big 12. And it was a pretty high payout. So at this point, I think he's in a pretty good position, regardless of who wins on Saturday, uh, because either he's making money or he's just going to be full of joy. Uh, And and I'm not sure which one is worth more, to be completely honest. Uh, TCU is favored by two and a half here. Uh, 62 is the total. Of course, latest numbers at BetUS. TCU is 5-0 in one-score games this season. They just trounced Iowa State last week. The offense has dropped off a little bit over the last five weeks. They're number 71 in PPA per drive. Kansas State's defense is number 46. So, eh, average offense, average defense at this point. Uh, The question to me, Parker, uh, and we're going to start with you on this one, number 103 PPA per rush over the last five weeks is TCU, number 78 in rushing success rate. But when you look at what Miller did against Kansas State earlier in the year, that that was obviously not within the past five weeks, he had 29 carries for 153 yards uh, in the first game. Like, he was just a monster in that spot. I'm curious what your numbers say here. Like, Kansas State offense kind of looks like it might be better with Will Howard at quarterback. Uh, 13 touchdowns, two picks so far on the season. 9.3 yards per attempt, which is almost three yards more than than what uh, Adrian Martinez was doing. I, I got a lot of questions here. I, I'm curious what your numbers say. Kansas State's passing attack, I think, is um, much better off with Will Howard than Adrian Martinez. Their their quarterback rushing is certainly limited. It's a different offense, but I think it's a testament to Colin Klein, an offensive coordinator, who's been able to shape the offense around who's playing quarterback there. Um, yes, my Kansas State over six and a half cashed a while ago, and that's uh, plus a thousand to win the Big Twelve championship. So I can um, uh, I can be strategic this weekend on 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 making sure that I reclaim some value here. Um, I, it's really important to look at who they've played in the last five, I think, in terms of to get a better feel of um, Kansas State. Uh, they 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 lost that game to Texas. Uh, but their last five, ga- the last four games outside of that, they played an Oklahoma State team that was down uh, about 11 starters between both sides of the ball. They played a Baylor team who got hit in the mouth and rolled over. They allowed 31 points to West Virginia in a game that was a little closer than it should have felt like. And Kansas, they won by 20 in a game where they recovered a fumble at the five and uh, and I believe had a um, another special teams score there. So um, it's when you opponent adjust and when you um, take into account the fact that they've played some bad teams, I think that rounds out the picture of Kansas State as a team that has extreme explosive potential and doesn't necessarily make mistakes. TC has been a little more erratic, a little more slow to start. They've also benefited from playing a very, very bad Iowa State team and that same Baylor team that Kansas State beat by 28, but they only beat them by one. So TC has been a little more gritty, a little more grinded out. Um, they have some health issues. If they can get Quentin Johnston back, I think that they've shown that they can score on almost anyone. And Kansas State's defense kind of got worked against Kansas last week, um, especially with some of the tight ends, and TCU's gotten the tight ends there. Uh, and uh, I won't rant too much more here. Um, I, I think the way that TCU's been playing, uh, you, you would be inclined to lean them towards the money line, but I think that's going to be another close game just because this is going to be shot for shot. Um, it's interesting to see where the line is being at, what, two and a half now? Because um, that that being under the under un, uh, key numbers are going to matter here because this might be the last team with the ball wins and uh, and so you're going to have to do a little bit of back and napkin math there to decide whether you want to bet on Kansas State to cover or not. But um, should be a fun game. I'm I'm gonna suggest an over here just as a lean because both of these offenses can score at the drop of a hat. So I take Kansas State uh, or sorry I would take uh, Kansas State TCU over here. 
I could certainly understand that. And the line movement certainly agrees with you. Opened at 60 and a half. It is up to 62. Uh, TCU opened as a one and a half point favorite. They are up to two and a half at this point. Uh, this one, of course, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Uh, got people in the chat saying that uh, it, it may end up being a Cats home game because Kansas State fans do travel really well. Uh, we'll see about that. We'll see what ends up happening here. Kyle, you know, moving over to you, in the first game, Kansas State had uh, around a 59% postgame win expectancy. Uh, again, these numbers, you're, you're looking at what Kansas State has faced. Uh, the defense is number 18 in scoring opportunities per game, uh, but they're number 78 in points per. TCU's offense, number 65 and 64, respectively. Uh, so TCU, you know, can finish drives a, a little bit better. Um, I'm... I'm curious your thoughts on maybe Deuce Vaughn, what Kansas State tries to get done here, because he only had 12 carries and four catches in that first matchup. Uh, I think this one might be played a little bit differently than it was the first go-round. I, I might would expect maybe even more points than what we got uh, in that first one. What, how do you see it breaking down, Kyle? Yeah, I, I think this is a great game as a handicapper and as a fan. Um, somebody in the chat said I should have been wearing the Kansas State hat. Um, I wanted to show respect to Parker. Uh, we're all friends here, and and this is TCU's biggest game in a long time. I did think about wearing the Kansas State hat, but I, I don't want to do that. Um, this, I will say, uh, I'm going to say something that sounds really stupid. I guarantee somebody's going to be like, "What you know? What a dummy!" This is so. Uh, TCU put up 62 points last week, but really, was their offense nearly as good as that looks? I mean, 62 points, uh, 5.5 yards per play, pick sixes, short fields from Iowa State special teams mishaps. Parker's been telling you all year Iowa State's uh, special teams are terrible, and that was showing up last week. The pick sixes certainly didn't help. Um, this isn't to say that TCU wasn't impressive last game. It's just that. 62 points probably need some context as far as what TCU did their last game. Uh, Chris Kleiman is 30-15-1 against the spread at Kansas State. The guy's a really good coach. I don't want to bet against him. I'll be honest, if this was going to be three and a half, I would have taken Kansas State here in this one because I would have thought this is a one-possession game, kind of like Parker said, last team that has the ball wins the game. Uh, we remember the Big 12 title game last year was certainly exciting right down to the wire. It wouldn't surprise me if this one's the same. Um, Howard has far exceeded all expectations I had for him. I didn't think he would be nearly this good when he stepped in for Adrian Martinez. 77.5 EFF grade, an dot of 9.9. This is not a guy in the past that I would have thought would have an dot of 10 yards. Uh, the coaching staff has done a great job with him. Gary, it surprises me a lot that uh, Vaughn didn't get more touches than that in the first game. I would imagine they'll find ways to get him the, the football a lot more. And if you look at uh, the margins in Big 12 play, TCU plus 1.06 um, yards per play margin and Kansas State plus 0.98, so almost the same. I think the spread is just right here in this one. Uh, like I said, I would have wanted to take a team getting a field goal or more. Uh, obviously, new TCU wasn't going to be getting a field goal or more here. But uh, TCU with a lot on the line. I know Parker's going to be amped up for this game. I, I certainly lean toward an over. Uh, the lack of tempo. There's a few other metrics over the last five weeks. I've got TCU by two points. Uh, just overall on the season opponent adjusted, I've got TCU by three and a half. So uh, the models all seem to point TCU, and the fact that this is under a field goal, uh, that's the way that I would likely lean. But, man, no official play on this one from any of us uh, because it is, I mean, this is going to be a tight ball game. I, I do like the the over idea. I might side with you guys on the pizza money 
on the over 62 here because I do expect there to be a lot of points. Two teams trending in the right direction here, by the way. Four and one against the spread over the last five for Kansas State. TCU five and one against the spread over their last six. So somebody's going to have to not cover here. <laughs> Moving right along, we move to the Sun Belt. This is the last game that we are going to cover for today. Ah, let's see. Let's see. The Sun Belt. Coastal Carolina, a nine-point underdog at Troy. That's right. This one is at Veterans Memorial Stadium in Troy, Alabama, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. And Troy, I mean, just a, a big favorite here of nine, but this thing has been all over the place. The Trojans opened as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. That was quickly, quickly bet up, 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 until it got into double digits. It hit ten-and-a-half, and then you start to hear a little bit of noise about Grayson McCall. And, of course, he's still questionable, but there is a chance that he ends up playing this weekend. Well, that kind of changes everything. And thus, the line has been bet back down to nine as is, uh, where it sits currently. Um, again, the total 48 latest numbers at BetUS. Coastal Carolina won this matchup last year, 35-28. to 28. It was a very, very, very tight ball game. I believe they had to win at the very end of the game. Kyle, I'm going to start with you here. Coastal 3-0 and straight up, 1-2 and against the spread against Troy in their last three. But you look at what Coastal has done lately. 2-7 and against the spread against winning teams. Troy is 8-2 and against the spread in their last 10 games overall. I, I see a massive rushing advantage here for Troy with Kamani Vidal. Uh, 450 yards rushing against Louisiana Monroe and Arkansas State. You look at what Coastal Carolina does as far as their rushing defense. They're number 113 in PPA per rush over the last five weeks. They're number 103 in rushing success rate allowed over the last five weeks. There are some mismatches. When I saw this this number at, you know, close to double digits, and at one point it was double digits, I kind of thought, even, even with McCall out, you know, this is a bit of a different situation than when they played at James Madison last week. I feel like Jamie Chadwell could keep this bunch in, in the ballgame I might be wrong here on that. I think that Troy might have a just huge advantage, and they're going to try and keep the ball away from them. Uh, what What do you see in this one, Kyle? Well, I see Mark says that Grayson is playing. If that's true, that definitely changes the game for sure. I think I would bet the over if McCall's playing in this game because uh, Troy has a good defense, but probably not good enough to shut down Coastal if McCall does play. Um, Troy, I think, can score points. Coastal Carolina's defense is pretty weak. I'll be honest, too. I had Troy and Arkansas State under personally last weekend, and that game just went absolutely nuts uh, in the fourth quarter. I think Troy scored like 34 or 35 points by themselves in the fourth quarter. Um, that was in the rain and wind, and and uh, that wasn't a weather game that came through. More of those do than, than not, but that one didn't work out. Uh, Troy was definitely a case of addition by subtraction with uh, Chip Lindsey being gone. We talked about that before the season. This is another one where we had a uh, Sunbelt West winner here for Troy. Um, we've done pretty well with those uh, preseason, those future plays. So uh, that's something to keep uh, keep in mind is that early in the season, those plays we give out have done really well. So uh, pay attention to those. Uh, I trust more uh, Troy this way than I do Coastal Carolina. But if Grayson McCall plays, it certainly changes things. I think the total would go up. This line would probably come back down to a little below seven, something like that. Um, I, I don't want to lay 
this number of McCall plays, and I don't want to take a chance with that. I think it's incredibly difficult to bet this game without knowing whether Grace McCall is playing, so uh, I can't bet this game. I'm in the exact same boat here. Uh, here is the quote from Jamie Chadwell uh, from last night, uh, and this was pretty pretty late last night. It was the Sunbelt uh, coaches teleconference. He said, McCall is getting better each week. It's closer probably to a bowl game than it would be this week. He has improved every week. Saturday will be four weeks, and it was a three- to six-week injury. He could not have played Saturday. He was not healed. He said, we'll just continue to see how he's healing. Uh, I know our doctors and everybody's saying it's closer to six weeks, but if he can go this week, then I know he will want to go. If he's not healthy and he has an opportunity to hurt himself worse, then we're not going to let him play. Uh, seems pretty cut and dry here. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, I've seen crazier things happen, but... Eh, very, very interesting on multiple people now in the chat that are saying that McCall is going to play. Uh, Parker, let's move it over to you. You know, looking at PPA margin over the last five weeks, Troy number 22, Coastal Carolina number 103. Coastal is minus four in turnover margin without McCall. They are plus 11 with him. That is a massive, massive change. Uh, Troy's defense, number 14 in explosives, is, uh, excuse me, explosiveness allowed uh, over the past five weeks. And they're going to try and make Coastal drive. Coastal is number 106 in standard down success rate over the past five weeks. Again, it kind of all comes down to Grayson McCall and whether or not he plays because it's just been a massive, massive drop-off to, uh, to Guest, the backup quarterback there. Uh, how do you see it breaking down, Parker? I'm going to leave the divination of whether last week Jamie Chadwell was being strategic and playing guys, whether McCall plays, all that. I'm going to leave that to you all. I just want to talk about the numbers here because I think these are two interesting matchups. And so, again, what, what I like to do is kind of have a baseline, look at the stats, and then if you're going to make a betting decision on this, make sure that you are accounting for that extra information of injuries and context and everything. Uh, a couple things stand out greatly here. Uh, specifically about Coastal Carolina's offense, which is ranked 17th in EPA per play in the nation, and Troy's defense, which is ranked 27th. Um, the, 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 there's two really, really interesting splits here. One, Coastal Carolina is one of the most run-heavy teams in the nation, 110th in rush rate over expected. They're third in EPA per pass, 86th in EPA per rush. Troy's defense is actually better against the pass than the rush. They're 26th in EPA per pass, 51st in EPA per rush. So that leads to two things. One, can Troy put a ceiling with, if McCall is playing, can Troy put a ceiling on kind of the big plays that Coastal Carolina does? Can Troy make Coastal Carolina rush the ball efficiently uh, to, to earn points, not get beat by some crazy mismatch tight end leak route or whatever that, 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 um, Coastal likes to do so much. And if if they can get Coastal Carolina behind the sticks, I really think there's an opportunity to um, mitigate one of their biggest weaknesses. Troy's biggest weakness on defense is that they are 100th in third and fourth down success. They're seventh on early downs EPA. So it tells me there is a little bit of a selection issue that, you know, when, when teams get to third and fourth downs um, against them, they are third and two, third and three, a little bit more favorable. But Coastal Carolina, not very good at rushing, but they're seventh and third and fourth down success rate, and most of the rushing success comes on those third and fourth downs. So Troy being a little worse in later downs, a little worse in rushing EPA, um, that, that's going to matter a lot against the Coastal Carolina team that needs the rush to extend drives and is seventh and third and fourth down success. So nice, nice splits between early and late downs there. Um, one thing that Troy is good at that uh, Coastal Carolina's defense is really not good at is points per quality possession, finishing drives. Troy's 61st in points per quality possession on offense, 4.11 points. 
Uh, Coastal Carolina's defense is allowing 4.32, which is 92nd. So even as Troy isn't generating quality possessions at a very high rate, they are getting those big plays. When they do get those quality possessions, they are scoring touchdowns. I think that can matter in, in, in trying to outpace a Coastal offense that um, maybe doesn't have any, many, as many reps down the season as they would have liked. Um, against a coastal defense that's really just not very good at, at all and, and and has some talent issues. So I've got this everything healthy, no, no, no context, totally free, uh, totally context free. I've got this as Troy by about eight. Um, so if you're going to make a bet on this, you've got to think how much does what's the uncertainty of, of Grayson McCall playing and how much do I attach point value to him? But, uh, you know, in, in, in general, without that context, I would lean towards coastal Carolina here. I might even be inclined to lay a little bit of money uh, on on Coastal Carolina money line here. Um, I think there's some good value in that if you want to put some pizza money there. I I don't disagree with this. Uh, we've seen Chadwell do this time and time again, where he's just a master schemer, right? Like he's so good at just scheming guys open, even against really, really good defenses. Uh, he just finds ways to make it happen. Uh, so I, I could totally understand that. Last week... You might as well just throw that one into the ocean, like throw it over into some big lake or whatever, because that that was not indicative of what this Coastal Carolina team is capable of doing. That was a Super Bowl for James Madison. It was nothing too coastal. Uh, Troy has had to go through the gauntlet. They have had to win every game in order to get to this position. And now you got two two lost teams that are doing really, really well. You've got Jamie Chadwell, who has been doing this for quite some time. And then you've got a first-year head coach on the opposite side with John Summerall. Uh, just something to pay attention to here. So no no official plays, but uh, we have certainly given you some leans on that. Uh, let me go ahead and remind everybody before we get into the Q&A, like the video. We are almost to our goal, so go ahead and hit that thumbs up button. It looks like this. It's right underneath the video. Uh, help us out with that for sure. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live. That's every Tuesday and Wednesday. That's right, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, make sure you subscribe so that you can get into the chat. I see I see a lot of people with a lot of questions, and we are going to hit on quite a few of them right now. Um, of course, don't forget about tomorrow's show. Don't forget about the podcast, all that good stuff. Let's go ahead and dive in to our Q&A here. Uh, Throw a dog a bone TV says, if TCU and USC both lose this weekend, do you take a two-loss Alabama or Ohio State that got beat down at home? Oh, what a question. Um, you know what? I'm not going to answer first. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. How oh, do you feel dear. about this one? I, I, I don't have any clue. Like, I, I don't know that I can look at this unbiased. Um, obviously, the most recent thing we saw was Ohio State, right? Like, it, So is it two losses uh, for Alabama that were close or a blowout loss that Ohio State had that I don't know is really replicable because of the way that Michigan scored. Like, which which one's worse? Uh, if they both lose, I have to think TCU still gets in. So maybe USC is the team that's out. So then, I don't know. Kyle, give, give me your thoughts first. Yeah, I think it would surprise me if both Ohio State and Alabama get in, even if those teams both lose. So, um, you know, I think that the most chaos you could get is one team that's not in the top four now to, to uh, get in there. Um, Ohio State lost one game by that margin. Now, I, I imagine they're kicking themselves that they didn't keep that game closer because they they should have. You know, they busted those couple runs uh, long when Ohio State was uh, up on the line on those third and shorts. Um, 
I would guess that Ohio State would get in if that were the case. I don't know that Ohio State or Alabama are either one terribly deserving. I mean, you know, that's just uh, me being fair is that you could make uh, poke holes in both of them. Um, so I don't know what will happen. Um, I think there's a chance either one could happen. I would just guess that Ohio State would get in if USC lost, but TCU would probably be still in if uh, all that goes uh, crazy. Yeah, I tend to agree. Parker, uh, looking at, you know, TCU, obviously I would imagine you got to be a little bit scared thinking back on 2014 uh, with the fact that Ohio State is right here again, just right outside, waiting to get in, and who knows what's going to happen this weekend. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, Again, if TCU and USC both lose, do you take a two-loss Alabama or Ohio State that got beat down at home? Uh, I'm not I'm not scared at all, Gary, because I have no uh, faith at all that TCU will be given any kind of the benefit of the doubt when the decision comes down to should I put in a school with 9000 undergrad students or a school with one of the largest living alumni bases. And so, um, I, I, you know, again, I don't have my hopes up at all. I'm, I'm just focused as a TCU fan on. Uh, the game this weekend, but um, I think if we're going to make a merit argument. I mean, you 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 can't you know the, you see Tennessee fans on Twitter want to talk about like, well, if you do this and look at this, and it's like Tennessee had a really easy path to the playoff. Just don't let up sixty three points to a bad South Carolina team, and you go to the playoff. So you have to talk about like who controlled what they can control. TCU is playing a team twice. USC is playing a team twice, but USC has that additional loss that that, that could really um, throw them throw them out. They had the loss the first time, so um, it, it is kind of. Uh, if USC's going to get credit for winning um, against a team that they, they lost to, TCU shouldn't necessarily be penalized for losing to a team that they uh, beat. I, I don't think that's going to hold up in court. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think that would be consistent <laughs> and logical. I have no expectations that the playoff committee uh, has any designs about being consistent and or logical or equitable given the state of the landscape of college football. A lot of these playoff conversations we have are like, hey, in an ideal world, with zero friction. Well, that's, that's not how it works. Like our, uh, you know, we can talk about what we want the postseason to be, but conferences are divvied up like this. And like, you're right. Tennessee has to, well, this season they didn't have to, but Tennessee has to win their division to go to the playoff. Like, and it stings their divisions harder. Sorry, but that's how, that's how it works. And, uh, and so I think that we just have to remember what the landscape is. But uh, again, as a TCU fan, uh, the playoff doesn't define what's happening here. TCU went undefeated in the regular season. That's an amazing accomplishment, especially for a first year coach. And whatever shakes out here will not uh, bother me one bit, one way or the other. I, absolutely love it i love it uh yeah this is a tv show so at the end of the day yeah i mean obviously uh they it's i guess they're more likely to take alabama and ohio state than they are you know a tcu team Uh, nobody's talking about the fact that michigan has to play purdue and purdue has the most top five wins uh as an unranked team and they'll probably be ranked at this point because i believe they finished eight and four but regardless uh purdue i mean they them Boilermakers do this all the time. Uh, so a big emotional letdown spot for Michigan. Who knows what might happen there? And and then what do you do? Like, do you keep Michigan in just because they beat Ohio State? I mean, I, there's all kinds of questions here around this playoff. Uh, I guess expansion cannot get here soon enough. I will tell you that. Uh, Wavy Womack said, hi, guys. If chaos happens and Georgia and TCU lose, who would your top four be? Uh, by the way, I root for chaos. If Georgia and TCU lose... I don't think anything changes if Georgia loses. No, I think yeah. So I think I think Georgia's still in. Um, you go you go Michigan number one, you go Georgia number two, you go USC number three, TCU number four. Yeah. Maybe Alabama number four. Yeah, yeah. But that yeah. that's that's how I would imagine it would shake out. Okay. 
Dominic jumps in. Uh, not a question, a desperate plea. Please, please, please tell me. Texas A&M will be a good team next year. Uh, already hit on this one, but I'm curious everybody else's thoughts. Uh, Parker, um, can you tell Dominic that, he's, or that uh, Texas A&M will be good next year? I mean, they're going to have more talent than everyone else on their schedule. Um, and it seems that many of their issues this season were one injury related, which we don't expect to sustain year over year and um, self-inflicted by reluctance to adapt the offense. Now you can take that one of two ways. One, that's a fixable problem and maybe it can be fixed this offseason. You could also take it another way and say, I think that's maybe just what you're going to get with Jimbo Fisher is that you're going to do things a certain way. And if they don't work that way, we're just going to try harder and try it again next year. So it'll depend on what they get out of quarterback play there. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of, despite all the memes this year, there are a lot of college football programs who are much worse off than Texas A&M from the standpoint of a coach who's had success in the past and a team that will have a talent advantage over literally everyone on their schedule. That is, uh, that is true. So I know they do still have to play Alabama. I think talent will be close there, but even still uh, over 11 of the 12 teams, and maybe even 12 of the 12. Absolutely. Kyle, to me, it's all about who they bring in at offensive coordinator and what Jimbo Fisher wants to do with that. Is it is he going to bring in somebody that teaches him modern offense and allows him to still call plays? Or is he just going to hand over this thing? I'm curious uh, your thoughts. A&M going to be good next year? I mean, A&M is, is good for these upsets, but then they lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. And I, I don't know that I want to count on them to just go and win every game next year, regardless of their talent. Um, so I, I, it's not a team that I think would go and win a national title regardless, but uh, they should be much better than they were this year. That's I think that's the easy answer there. I think a second year of Wegman, uh, regardless of what the offense looks like, I think they're going to be pretty good. Uh, Arbone jumps in. Thoughts on who Cincinnati hires as their coach? Uh, there are multiple, multiple newspaper guys that swear that Urban Meyer is going to be the next Cincinnati head coach. Uh, I don't know that I buy it, uh, but I'm curious your thoughts. Kyle, you're up there. Give me, give me some thoughts on Cincy's next head coach. I'm pretty worried that it could be Brian Hartline. I don't want it to be Brian Hartline based on how good of a recruiter and a good uh, receiver coach he is for Ohio State, but he's going to be hard to keep around here too much longer. Hopefully Ohio State has uh, some some good things going on to try to keep Hartline there, but uh, that would be my guess, would be Hartline. Or I, I think it's kind of funny. I think Parker even tweeted about this. We've, we've seen some of the uh, talk of Matt Campbell to Cincinnati. <laughs> kind of like Matt Campbell was – Rumored to like every massive job, and now it's like Matt Campbell might go to Cincinnati. I'm not even sure what to think of that. That's it's a it's a strange PR move, certainly for Matt Campbell. <laughs> Parker, uh, you you got a feel on on Cincy's head coaching job? I don't have any inside info. Hardline would be an amazing hire, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think that Campbell would do well to take that job uh, for a couple reasons. One, I think Cincinnati has a better athletics program and more money than Iowa State. Um, I don't I don't think uh, that's objectively true. Also, the temperature on Matt Campbell from the Iowa State fans has gotten real cold real quick. And I just I just don't think there's any value in taking licks to stay there. Like if you can go, even if it's a lateral move and say, OK, let me buy me a, a little bit of time. Let me get out of this kind of really bad negativity that's that's brewing around. I, I wouldn't blame him there at all. I did hear Tom Herman's name mentioned. I think that would be a weird hire. I think that Cincinnati would do well trying to go for an assistant, trying to go for somebody younger and see if they can get set up for the future in the Big 12. Not necessarily a stabilizing force that's, you know, been been good in the AAC before, but has been out of coaching for a little bit. So I, I, I don't think Tom Herman's actually interested in that job, but I think that they have at least kicked the tires on that. 
Yeah, I could uh, I could certainly see that. Big Trouble Jack jumps in. Biggest team surprises and disappointments this year. Uh, you know what? I think we're going to do like a recap show at the end of the season uh, when everything's done. So we'll we'll talk about surprises and disappointments and whatnot uh, at, when we get to that point. Because me trying to think up stuff off the top of my head right now after uh, after diving into these games for as long as I have. Probably not uh, Probably not the best idea. Uh, Heath Harrelson does come in. He says, uh, question for Gary. Do you think that TCU and Michigan meet in the national championship game? Uh, no, I do not. I believe Georgia will be in there uh, somehow, some way. Uh, but obviously, we will see. So I don't know who makes it on the other side. I'm, I don't even know what the seating is going to be. But we'll talk about all of it next week for sure. Uh, because, man, we are we are right there. We are right there. Sunday, we'll have that next week, of course, is Army-Navy. Um, we will have a show on Tuesday of next week. No show on Wednesday, but a show on Tuesday of next week. Uh, so, yeah, we, we got a lot to discuss once we get to that point. Uh, if there are any other questions, which there are quite a few in the chat, I'll try and go through and, and answer as many of these as I can, but we do need to go ahead and get out of here. Um, uh, but I do want to tell you, if you want to reach out to us individually, you can always do that on our Twitter feeds. Uh, the links are in the description for that, so make sure that you uh, hop on there and ask us any questions there. Or you can always jump in the comments. We would like to know your picks for this weekend as well. Let us know who you are picking in these games. Uh, maybe you can maybe you can sway us one way or another. If we're leaning a certain way and you give us more insight, uh, you can maybe persuade us to hop on board with you with a little bit of pizza money there. So uh, let's go ahead and, uh, again, like the video, if you would so kindly, subscribe to the channel, etc. And let's go ahead and hit our picks recap. This is what we have done for today. These are our best bets. Uh, Parker, I'll let you go on and give yours out first. I'm going with the Roadrunners as the home favorite in the uh, Conference USA Championship here uh, at eight minus eight and a half. I like that one as well. Uh, give me the Roadrunners too, minus eight and a half. I like Akron plus 11 and a half at Buffalo. Liked it a lot more at 14, but I will still take it at 11 and a half off of the key number there. Uh, and I do like Utah plus three against USC. Uh, I think that that defense can match up fairly well against USC's offense. Uh, I, I like the cornerbacks there. Uh, give me uh, give me the Utes and Kyle Whittingham uh, to get the cover there. Kyle, what do you like this weekend? I'm going to take USC team total over 34 and a half here this week. I am going to keep it lower volume. I, I think I'll take a pizza money bet on that Kansas State over as well. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's go ahead and get out of here. We got uh, we got things to do. We got more games to dive into. We will be back again tomorrow, so make sure that you join us again. Uh, we are really, really looking forward to it. Again, toss your picks into the comments there. Uh, would love to see what you guys are picking for this weekend. Uh, with that said, that's going to close things out. Looking through, making sure we don't have any more notes. Da -da -da. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the podcast. I think that's it. All right, gentlemen, for BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football. And we'll see you all again tomorrow.